All right, welcome back to the big program. That's kind of fitting music for our next uh, co-host slash guest, uh, the Mighty Mouth himself, Bryn Griffith. Welcome to Sports 1440, uh, Bryn. Uh, good to see you. How are you? You know, all these years we've known each other. We've never done a show together. We've never done a show together. Never. And we've known each other for, well, even before we didn't know each other, I knew you because you used to work at CHAB in Moose Jaw. Right. Um, when I was growing up in Saskatchewan, so I would be able to listen to you as a young, well, a young, young man. We were both very young. Yes. So when you were, were you, younger. Yeah. When were you in Moose Jaw doing Moose Jaw games on CHAB with, and you told me yesterday, and I remember Rob Carney was the color guy. Yeah. Rob was my color broadcast partner for three years when I was there. But I, I got to say, before I got to Saskatchewan, I did one year play-by-play on the campus station here. So I was kind of taught the game of hockey a little bit. Mm-hmm. I played, but nothing like that. But I, I was basically tutored by Claire Drake. There you go. So I was doing Golden Bear games on CJSR So on what campus. year was that? So that was 83-84. So I was lucky enough to jump from there to Saskatchewan to broadcast the games on CHAB with the Moose Jaw Warriors. Uh, we had some great players. Mm-hmm. We just didn't seem to have a great team. Right. And it all starts, you know, with you got to get the right save at the right time. We just never had a star, superstar goalie like some of the other teams. Mm-hmm. But we had some guys that could play the game and some guys that went on to win Stanley Cups. So it was fun to watch that. But that, So when I was doing that gig in Saskatchewan for four and a half, almost five years, I was also doing the morning show. So you know what the deal like yeah. was there. You, you do a game in Prince Albert and you'd wrap up around 10.30. I think the games all started at 7.30. So 10.30, you'd be on the bus and on the road by 11.00. Maybe a four-hour trip. You'd be pulling into the radio station at 3 in the morning. You'd go nap on the couch in the back, what we used to call the the jocks lounge. Mm-hmm. And you'd go and nap for a couple of hours. And I, I had two morning hosts that I loved working with there. Kelly Latrimo was one. And the other guy was Barry Weiss, who was still Barry part, Weiss, I remember the part name. of the, 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 the fabric of Saskatchewan radio. Yeah. And you'd get the, Brinster, we got to get going. <laughs> and so you'd go, and you'd go on, you'd quickly write up your sports, and then you would co-host the morning show as well. And then you'd really crash at nine o'clock. But it was it was a fun time. I, The time I spent in Saskatchewan was, uh, was invaluable because I learned a ton, mm-hmm. just an absolute ton. Well, we always say that's where you make your mistakes, right? You know, as oh, a young, yeah. young broadcaster, and that's a long ways away, a long time uh, when you were there. Um you had some, uh, you mentioned the players. You had like you know the Kelly Buckberger, Theron Fleury, Mike Keen, Mike Keen, Lyle Odeline, Lyle Odeline. I'm trying to think of some of the other guys. Oh, uh, Jim McKenzie was a big tough guy, <laughs> yeah. but but uh, but Jim spent some time in the National Hockey League. Like, I think he won a cup as well. There was there was a lot of guys that uh, that went through there. But I, I was fortunate enough to to cover an exciting team. But we just seemed to lose games six to five mm-hmm. constantly. Daryl Gilmore was in goal for you. Gilly was a Gilly was a very good goaltender. Was drafted in the National Hockey League, but you know what? With goaltenders, as you know, in the Western Hockey League, goalies develop a little slower than the other players, yeah. and so Gilly would have off nights, and uh, it just seemed that the timing was always out of sync. But uh, but uh, and Daryl now lives in Phoenix. I think he's an assistant or a head golf pro. He was, mm. he was always a great golfer. But uh, I, I'm not looking to pin our, <laughs> our, any of that bad stuff that happened yeah. on Gilly. That's for sure. It's just that, uh, you know, you've got to get the right save at the right time. For sure. Bryn Griffiths, our special 
guest co-host on Sports 1440 uh, this morning. After Moose Jaw, then where did you end up going after Moose Jaw as your broadcasting career just, it took off, like, let's be honest. Well, it's, you know, it's all a part of the progression. But for me, leaving Saskatchewan, I wasn't quite ready to do it. But life interferes frequently with what we do. Mm -hmm. And uh, my parents came down to visit me over the Easter long weekend. My dad suffered a heart attack and did not make it. And so I had to drive my mom back to Edmonton with dad's car and got her all settled in. Luckily for me, the warrior season had ended Mm -hmm. just like a week earlier. Uh, So I kind of determined that if I get a chance to get back home, which this is, I got to do it. So I went back and I started the season and I went all the way through to January and then an opportunity opened up at the station right next door, K97. Yeah. And so I took it because, it, you know, it's the, the one thing, you know, we all have this hope and this dream of, of working and doing play-by-play in the National Hockey League. However, back then, there were only six teams in the NHL. And because of the, you know, you couldn't cross over the border and work for a U.S. team. So you kind of had to, you had to target one of the Canadian teams. Well, Rod was well-established here. Rod's not going anywhere, <laughs> no. nor yeah. should he. Peter. Peter, Peter Marr, yeah. uh, my good friend in Calgary, who I absolutely love as well, not going anywhere. Jim. Uh, yeah. J- yeah. <laughs> Robson. Jim Robson. He ain't going anywhere. Okay, let's see. One, two, three, three Hockey Hall of Fame yeah. guys. Uh, let's see. Kurt Kielbach was the big guy in Winnipeg yeah. with the Jets, uh, who I did get a chance to work with later on. Started at CKOS in Yorkton. Yes, he did. Yeah. Loves it. In, in fact, his nickname was Sod, short for Sodbuster, because he was from <laughs> Saskatchewan. Uh, so you start taking a look at across the country, there's not going to be a gig no. anywhere. So for me, it was an obvious move. I got to get closer to home to be with my family, help my mom and my sister kind of get through everything. And uh, so that's why I came back and worked at K97 and worked on a fun morning show called The Breakfast Crew mm-hmm. back then. So it was it, the move came at the right time. It was tough to leave doing hockey play-by-play because I absolutely loved it. Right. Kurt was often, uh, because Kurt... The, the radio station in Moose Jaw and CKY in Winnipeg were owned by the same company, Moffat Communications. So I would send tapes, cassette tapes, mm-hmm. if you remember. You might, have, oh, to, you might yeah. have to Google those. You might have to Google that one up. Well, hey, I used to work at Sam the Record Man, baby. Yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, I, it just, it, the, I would always get feedback from Kurt constantly. It was always great. And so anyway, I came back and worked in Edmonton for a couple of years, and it was fantastic. And then a job opened up with the Jets. Mm-hmm. They had a one-year gig. Uh, I took it because I wanted the experience of working in the NHL. And, you know, uh, so it, it was always a blast. There were numerous times I still remember at MSG doing a game with Kurt and Kurt have the deep pipes. And yeah. I did not. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you, there's times when you just stop for a second and you go, look where I'm working. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a game in Madison Square Garden. And you try you try to shake it off as much as you possibly could. But there's times where it's just like it, this has happened. I was only in Moose Jaw five years ago. Yeah. Right. And now here I am. I know, it, I know it's, exactly. It's crazy. Bryn Griffiths is uh, with us on Sports fourteen forty. I know exactly what you're talking about there. When I was lucky enough to fill in uh, for Morley Scott doing games with Rod Phillips, yes, uh, at MSG at whatever in Chicago, looking around, going, "What am I doing here?" Like you know, yeah. Do I belong yeah. here? One, that's one of the things that first comes to your brain, yeah. and I, the answer would be, "Yeah, you do," because Kurt wanted to work with another broadcaster. You don't want another former player mm-hmm. at that time. Although we've seen some former players since then who've really developed into great broadcasters, but Kurt wanted to have, for that one year, that contract, mm-hmm. wanted to work with another broadcaster. So let's get the kid out of Musha. He didn't know <laughs> I'd even moved, yeah. right? So I, I got hired there, but I was lucky because, uh, you know, get to do a game in Madison Square Garden. 
uh, the Boston Garden, mm-hmm. another great old, the old yeah. rundown facility. Chicago. But the I mean, history, yeah. the Chicago Stadium, yeah. another great. And then the other one that was fun for me was the Montreal Forum. For sure. And the reason why that one was fun was because we had played the Quebec Nordique at uh, Le Colisse the night before, came in. It was an optional skate. I also worked for the team, so I had to go to the practice that right. day, and there were a few guys kicking around. But the guy suited me up. So I was able to do a spin or two and take a few passes yeah. and shoot at the net. And you're and, and all the way through that, you're looking up at the banners, and, yeah. and you, you say to yourself, I'm intimidated. Imagine if you're being a player. Cool. Right, so Gord Donnelly, a big tough guy. I mean, use my sticks because if you score, then uh, you might, I might have to get new sticks because I don't score very often. I want to have a couple of lucky goals left <laughs> in those sticks. And I think Thomas Dean skates. He had an extra pair of skates. It was a it was a grab bag for me. But it, but anyway, th- th- there's a lot of great experiences. A lot of fun. Text line one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. The plumber sends one in. Sam the record man. LOL. Yes, that's an old story. <laughs> we'll get to that someday. I can tell you a little bit later, Bryn. Um, so after that, then you kind of ended up back in Edmonton. Yeah, the one year deal uh, at CKY. Mm-hmm. The contract negotiations were up for negotiation, and there was a lot of uh, strong push coming from CJOB at the time. They wanted to get the rights away and they did. Yeah. So I, my job was not guaranteed. So I ended up losing my job to Don Whitman. <laughs> no embarrassment there at all. No. I mean, here's one of the guys, if you could actually, if you go back through guys of our vintage, yeah. you go back and take a look at your top 10 sports moments. You might've watched on TV. I'm going to tell you right now, Whit may be on a third half, of them. Yeah. Half of those. Like, well, you know, you Donovan got the track Bailey. and field, yeah. Donovan Bailey, I still remember that. I, and the Ben Johnson, I remember that. He also caught, uh, how much curling has he done? Yeah. Uh, how many he, great He cups? was always doing the Oiler games, too. He, you know, that was his kind of where oh, yeah. he carved himself out a little bit, too, because he wasn't the Eastern guy t- that Bob Cole was doing was the, the Leafs and things like that. Yeah, he was West, so. Um, so, so there was that. It was uh, it, it was tough, but so I was out of work for about three days. <laughs> And I'm sitting at home in my apartment in Winnipeg thinking, what am I going to do next? Because that's in the broadcast business. Trust me, if you're not thinking a little bit about that, you're making a mistake because it's a little erratic at times. Who knows? A little unstable at times. But anyway, my phone rings and I get this, hey, how you doing? (laughs) It was Brian Hall from here. And Halsey said, are you coming back? And I said, well, I don't know. I'm really not sure what I'm going to do, Brian. He said, well, Fred Fleming, who he'd worked with forever, at the old CJCA, had been hired by his, he was hired by his good buddy Pat Bolin yeah. to go down to Denver. So I got to move in and work with Halsey for three years and host the football broadcasts. And I did color mm-hmm. on the Trappers one season with Al Coates. And uh, so I learned an awful lot. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I just, you know what? We're very lucky to do what we do. Very. And we fall into certain things. Some things I say we earn, most things we earn through what we do, mm-hmm. but sometimes you just kind of stumble into things and it's great. What a great, what a, I have had a chance over the last few years to look back at my career and look back at life. Mm-hmm. And uh, all you think to yourself is uh, I'm so lucky. We are. I know. Yeah, for sure. Uh, text coming in. We're going to get to a lot of these texts after our interview with Brant Myers, who's oh, just good. coming up at 920. Okay. Uh, we've got so much to talk about uh, with uh, with Bryn. Uh, life. I mean, you had, you were, you had cancer. Uh, I mean, twice. twice. 
terrible. Uh, you know, you were, everyone was, I mean, the concern level was off the charts. No one. Well, everybody says you know. you're playing the back nine. I was at the clubhouse for a couple of days. There you go. And decided to go back out, finish so my round, and here I am. We're going to talk about that. Uh, Texts coming in uh, wants to ask you about Jake Daniels. We'll get to that. Okay. Uh, unreal, the names that Bryn is bringing up. Um, well, uh, uh, Fred's son, Chris Fleming. Chris passed away in Calgary. I worked with Kevin Fleming yeah. in, Cal- in Calgary at uh, CTV Calgary. Yes. At CFCN. Uh, a lot of texts coming in. Uh, we're going to get to a lot of those when we get... Okay. Because uh, we got Brant Myers coming on and, and a guy that you would have, uh, well, done play-by-play with or play-by-play of in, uh, I guess... Well, no, maybe not me. Well, you probably would have done a game or two with Brant Myers over the years. There's no doubt. I I and think, a, yeah, he would have been involved in some respect on the ice. Yeah. I seem to remember meeting him briefly yeah. once, and I can't recall if he was kind of coming through here yeah. or where I ran into him, but he was, uh, like all the big guys, very soft-spoken, very I, kind. Great. And right. I thought of Brant, like yesterday we had Shane Peacock on. That's why I was like kind of going, oh, there's another. I was like, oh, yeah, let's get Mizey on, Brant Myers. So, oh, um, yeah. When we come back, we will check in with Brant Myers, former Lethbridge Hurricane, played in the NHL, was one of the all-time tough guys in the league. Uh, Mizey will join us right after the break. Carius Griffin, 1440. Man. Who needs Grand Fear? Well, better not say that too loud. Let's see after the break. <laughs> That's a great song from Happy Gilmore, that little kind of tidbit that they had when they were I guess I was right around the just before the Bob Barker thrashing yes somewhere in that movie think uh, and talking about uh, thrashing is we've got uh, Bryn Griffiths in to co-host the Carrier Show on Sports 1440 9 to 11 um, Brant Myers joins us uh, and uh, Brant man oh man long time no talk how are you big fella oh we're just getting Brant right now sorry just, I, I will tell you one yeah. thing I think he would have beaten Bob Barker uh, Brant Myers would have, yeah. Absolutely. I don't know. All, well, you know, Bob had a pretty good, you know. Yeah, he had a good uppercut. That he, left he uppercut. did. Yeah. But it would have been, uh, My, you know. Mizey, there. How you doing, big guy? Uh, I heard Bob Barker. With <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're with Carius uh, and, and Bryn Griffiths, our uh, special co-host today, uh, filling in for Grant Fuhr. So, uh, yeah, you think you could have taken Barker down, but what about uh, Adam Sandler? <laughs> soft. He was oh, pretty God. soft. Yeah, you, you know, know. You, you know what? If he all he had to do was grab my left, anybody could have beat me. <laughs> yeah, I find that hard to believe. So <laughs> yeah, I do too. Yeah. Um, so I, I was thinking about having you on a while hey. back. You sent me a text about uh, a month ago talking about this new gig, and uh, now we finally got you on. So how yeah. have you been? What have you been up to in the last little while? Kind of fill us in uh, where you've been at and what you've been doing. You know what? I, I actually when the pandemic started and all that stuff happened i moved back to uh to cold lake where i grew up for about a year and a half just till things sort of died down and then uh my book got released actually during the middle of the, all that stuff so it wasn't really the ideal time to do any type of uh you know i guess it would be uh touring or stuff like that so i bought a house back in edmonton and uh on may 1st and then uh moved back to the city west side and uh you know now i plan to ramp up uh you know for, for me kevin uh mm-hmm. i think the the substance of the book um is something that i'm just really really passionate about and something that i want to uh, keep spreading the, the good news on it for sure brant myers is our 
guest uh, for the Puck Report, brought to you by Fountain Tire. Right now, during the Road Ready Sales event, you can save up to 25% on select tires and bonus of $50 off any service until October 21st. You can book your appointment at fountaintire.com. Some restrictions do apply. Uh, so, Brent, that book, when it came out, we did a story with you and your daughter out at the Beaumont Rink. I uh, remember that. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, it was yeah. A, it was about minus thirty that day, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. You know what? I bet you it was thirty below. Yeah, like, honestly, yeah, it was freezing. Like she didn't want to get out of the car. <laughs> she didn't, but remember, she had like all as all the kids do, had the kind of the torn knee jeans and yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah, no, no problem. <laughs> Um, so when you when you got the book, kind of when you had the, uh, you know, you're talking about doing the book and then you were writing and putting it all together. Can you kind of just explain to our listeners that all that process, how it went through to where it was done? And mm-hmm. basically you, you had to you buried you buried your soul. Uh, can mm-hmm. you kind of tell our listeners what, what you were going through to kind of get that message out there? Yeah, it, actually, it all started in my uh, my fifth uh, rehab. So it would have been my last one in 2008. And um, the first night that I got in, when I checked in, I, you know, they they take all your stuff except your. They let let, let me have my computer. And I just sat in uh, in this in this little room, and I opened it up, and um, <clears throat> I just started jotting down. You know, <clears throat> listen, if I can stay sober just one day at a time, I said, I know for a fact that one day I'll be able to to help another player. Um, or anyone actually that's going through what I'm going through because it was a horrendous, you know, stretch of five treatment centers. And I just started writing it down. And then, you know, I just grab a pen and I'd, if a thought came to my mind, I'd I'd, I'd write something down. I did that for years, Mm -hmm. uh, but I just never really thought much of it. And then um, when I, uh, when I got hired by uh, the Los Angeles in 2015, I just stopped writing. I said, well, I don't really feel like, you know, there's quite a bit of stuff in this book. I don't know if I want to release it while I'm working for a team. And then uh, when that uh, ended three years later, uh, Penguin Random House uh, talked with a guy named Nick Garrison, and uh, he just said, hey, man, you, you know, you're willing to finish it? And I said, sure. And uh, so that took about another, you know, year and a half, I guess. And then, uh, yeah, finished product. Let's let's go a little deeper here. Five treatments. It, you know, we can talk about how much of a battler you were on the ice but to yeah. go through three, three, four, and five rehab treatments, how different were they from one to five? Because I've talked to some people who've who've gone through this battle, and you know the first one they might be a little bit uh, combative towards the messaging that's being sent their way, but they find that as they progress through it, they're far more accepting of the kind of advice they get from the people that are surrounding them. How I know it was tough. But how how could you see a progression as you're going through it to the, to get to the point where you're at now? Not really. I mean, uh, quite honestly, uh, I remember my first treatment center was in 1998 in Los Angeles, and then uh, uh, my fourth one was a was a two year suspension basically during the lockout. I did, um, and uh, I had to live in a sober living home in LA for six months, and then uh, you know another three months. So, anyways. All those combined, the only one that I really remember is my last one, and it's because I wanted to get sober at that yeah. point, mm-hmm. right? And 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 I remember every step of that. I remember getting, you know, just to, what time the meditation was at at night, and what time, you know, who who my counselor's name was in the morning, and I remember all of it because it was like I was a little kid in school that actually liked school now, right? Right, and and so I was really attentive. And I was proud of every day that I stuck together and, and put another day clean. And um, 
So for me, it was it was the final one. Uh, Brent Myers is our guest, uh, Kevin Carey Show, with our special co-host uh, today, Bryn Griffiths, on Sports 1440. Uh, the book uh, has been out for a couple of years now, Painkiller, a memoir of big league uh, addiction. Um, how how long have you been clean and sober now for, Brent? Well, so out of the last 15 years, Kevin, <laughs> 14 years and nine months. <laughs> so, okay. had a, no drugs, though. I haven't had a drug since, I guess it would be February of 08, but yeah. I had a little bit of a a little bit of a setback uh, with the other stuff very, very, very quick. And, you know, the one thing I learned is that, you know, although everything, I guess all the days of sobriety since I was 24, I, you know, it's like you go to the bank and you, you put something in the savings account, you know, and um, I realized all the tools that I had throughout the years that really no matter what situation that I faced, I could always fall back on, on, on that. So, mm-hmm. I've got a really good support team and, um, you know, just people in my life that care about me today. You're bringing up the support team here, surrounding yourself with the right people as you go through this battle. And it's a continual battle. It never stops, right? Yeah. No. Well, you know what? I I, I guess all I can say to that is that, you know, the, the for me today, like like the furthest furthest thing from my mind is, is is to get loaded, right? You know, like that's like that's like the last thing on the list, you know. And um, you know, my first thing this morning was to make my bed, say a prayer, and, and and make a you know get a cup of coffee, right? Like that's that's how I live my life now. I don't even think about the other stuff mm-hmm. anymore. Um, so I'm grateful that I lost that obsession because when I was going through it, when I was young and and throughout my 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 twenties, that's all I could think about every day. Right. So, um, Brant Myers is our guest. Carius Griffiths on Sports fourteen forty. So, Brant, when I did that story when I was working in over in TV, you did mention that your daughter almost was the number one de facto that got you through everything. When you looked at her, you said, "I gotta, I gotta be a better dad. I gotta, you know, I got a big responsibility here." Mm-hmm. So, what mm-hmm. can you tell our listeners about that relationship and what it meant to you, what it means to you now, and, and what it means to you moving forward? Yeah, well, she was my my first child. Um, I just remember that when I went into that last treatment center, um, they they didn't tell me how long I was going in for, and I, you know, she was going to be born. I think maybe in about a week. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I didn't know, and it, it turned out I, you know, I stayed eight months, and so I didn't get to see Chloe until she was eight months old, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the first time that I saw her, you know, the previous eight months were all worth it. And from that, you know, from that point on, when when we started to have a little bond together. Um, I never wanted her to see her daddy loaded or, or drinking a beer or, or, or doing drugs or not picking her up from school or anything like that, 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 you know, I was doing in my addiction. And I can honestly say, you know, she's 15 and a half years mm-hmm. old now, and she's, she's never experienced that with me. That's cool. Uh, Brant Myers uh, on 1440 here. Uh, your NHL career, you, you moved around a lot. We all know that. Um, there's certain teams that, I mean, you always mentioned that, you know, you always had that kind of uh, affinity with Daryl Sutter. Yeah. Uh, but other coaches were, you know, you were the tough guy. It was a, it was a tough, tough job at the time. Still is. Uh, mm-hmm. But what was that like for you, when you over the course of your NHL career to kind of have that job as the enforcer and and everyone in the room know, knew that you kind of had their backs? Mm-hmm. Well, that was, the, that was a good feeling. <clears throat> um, 
Man, it's funny how, you know, I watched a game, I watched an exhibition game the other night, I think it was Vancouver and Calgary, and Van was in Calgary, and the, and the score the score was 10 nothing, And there <laughs> yeah. was one fight, and I, and I I just thought back to my, I'm like, you know what, like, once that score would have been like 4 nothing, mm-hmm. like, it would, have, it would have been insane, and, and um, the game is just, wow, has it ever changed, yeah. but... I, I, you know, I, I took pride in that role. I think too, when, when I talked about a prior, that you know, I never really had anybody protecting me when I was a little kid, when like the physical abuse was going on with my stepfather, and and I felt proud being in that dressing room in a way protecting other guys because mm-hmm. that was something that I missed in my life, and that's probably really what drove me uh, throughout my career. Well, what's the takeaway out of the whole NHL experience for you? Is there one or two things that stand out more than anything? Well, yeah. I mean, I I just wanted to play one shift. Right. You know, like I didn't, I just wanted to sit on the same bench that Gretzky sat on in Northland's Coliseum. Mm-hmm. Right. And it would have been all, it would have been all worth it if I, if they gave me one shift. But you know what? Seven teams signed me over the course of whatever, however many years, 10 years or 11 years, whatever it is. And, you know, I got to I got to play in some really cool cities, and uh, um, the experience of playing in the National Hockey League is, you know, I was told that it was good, but it but it exceeded my expectations by a thousand. Do you remember your first NHL game? Yeah, yeah, actually, we were playing in Hartford. <laughs> uh, wow. I was with Tampa, and, and uh, um, my dad told me that you know, well, first shift you got to go grab the <laughs> biggest guy. So. <laughs> So I went and fought a guy named Mark Jansen. Mm-hmm. Ah, played with the Regina Pats back in the <laughs> oh, day. Oh, did he? Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, I fought Mark Jansen, and then uh, you know I did did pretty good in the first fight, and then uh, the next night we flew back and played the, the big bad Flyers, and and probably <laughs> the best the best thing was when they came in before the game and they scratched Dave Brown's name oh, off the list. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh okay, I got a little bit of a free pass tonight, and then. Uh, yeah, scored a goal and, you know, played pretty well. Do you remember your first goal then? Kind of run us yeah, through Yeah, it was the next night against okay. Philly. It was against uh, Ron Hextall. Oh, wow. Top Excellent. shelf, right? And it was bullet uh, bullet drive, right? You, you, you know what? I broke through the D. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, Between the legs. <laughs> oh. Bryn, Giff- Bryn Griffiths, Kevin Carey is here on Sports 1440. Our guest is uh, Brant Myers, former NHLer for the uh, Puck Report, brought to you by Fountain Tire. Uh, so, Brant, after you did work, work with the LA Kings... Uh, yeah. and, and can you kind of run us through that time, what you were doing uh, yeah. with the Kings in the NHL? Yeah, that was in 2015 uh, uh, when uh, they had their issues with uh, some players there that was publicly known. I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. you know spilling the beans on anything. And then um, Dean Lombardi was my GM in San Jose. Daryl Sutter was coaching the team at the time. They just came off the Stanley Cup. And uh, he emailed me in the summer and said, can you fly to L.A.? Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah. And I got there, and he, he just said, how are we going to do this? I said, well, I've been thinking about this one for about eight years. <laughs> I <laughs> said, so this is how we're going to do it. And uh, he said, okay. He said, let's go. And then so we, I built that program called the Player Assistance Program in L.A. And uh, in the third year, they got fired the same day, hmm. Dean and Darrell. Wow. And... Uh, Rob Blake took over as GM, and, and I love Rob. He's a he's a really good guy. But hey, Rob wanted to put his own stamp on yeah. it, and uh, so I had another year left, and then uh, so I had three great years in LA. 
how did you build that trust with the players? Um, they're disclosing a lot of personal information. I mean, yeah. and, and you have to be able to have that ability to talk to a, a player that is that he knows mm-hmm. that you're not going to be, you know, going wherever and saying this and doing this. But so how, sure. how was that for you? How did you handle that? Well, at the start, it was a little bit tough because I was used to walking into a dress room and gaining the trust right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Like it's, you know, but it took me, you know, it takes time, right, to gain people's trust. You don't just trust somebody right off the bat. And, you know, again, like people don't realize, like I wasn't, there's 24 guys in that dressing room, right? And like 20, 22 of them aren't going to have an issue, right? Mm-hmm. And, and in the minors, the same thing. There's, you know, most of those guys are good kids, right? Yeah. But there's going to be a couple of kids that are, you know, struggling. And, and uh, so it was my job to, you know, focus in on who they were, and um, pay pay attention to them, um, but also let them know that, like, hey, man, like, I'm not a conduit to anybody. Mm-hmm. Like, I like this. I wish I had a guy like myself when I played. There was nobody when I played, like, like you know, the role that was was filled there. So it took some time, but eventually, they, you know, the guys opened up, and you know, because I was going, I was on the plane with the boys. I, you know, after the games, I was on the team bus going to the plane. Like I was in the dressing room after the game, so they didn't look at me as like an outsider. Right. Yeah. Do you do you find that that's the biggest change in the last five to ten years in the National Hockey League? Is that it used to be just pucks, sticks, get out there, get the W, but now it's it's all encompassing. It's all the stuff off the ice as much as it is on. You know what? No, I, I don't really think so. I think that, I, you know, you can go back to the days of the Oilers when those guys were making 90 grand a year. Right. And, and, and I'll tell you what, if they had cell phones back then, half of them would be in jail. So, so and that's just the truth. Yeah. So whether it's 1981 or it's, or it's 2023, it doesn't matter. You give any young guy a lot of money. And they're susceptible to the, the, the pitfalls of success. It doesn't matter whether it's hockey or whether, you, you know, you run Chevron or, or it doesn't matter what you do. Mm-hmm. Well, Bryn, maybe you can kind of speak to that when you worked for when the I Oilers. When worked for the Oilers, yeah. we were always worried about making sure a player had a parachute, right? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. to make sure that, that the fall, and you're right. They're good, you know. When you've got money, you're going to spend it, and you're going to spend it wisely, and you're not going to spend it wisely. The whole question mark we always had, and this was in the early 2000s, and that's why I'm just wondering about now: mm-hmm. Are we doing a better job? How much better a job can we do to make sure that we don't let things happen with guys that find their way, I guess, down the wrong path? Do you see that coming at all, well, or no? Well, no, because you tell me who's doing my role in the NHL mm-hmm. right now. Can they? Like, I mean, like it's not about the money. They spend more money on gum than <laughs> than than what they pay. That's me. true. Yeah. So, so so it's not about finance. It's I don't. And then you go, okay. So what's the downside of having? You guys have every every other type of position available hired. Right. Right. So 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 okay. You got the fitness. You got the health. You got the nutrition. You got the psychology. You got all that. So what about addiction? Yeah. Can you? Is there a chance that there that can something can happen about with this, like with yourself or another group or something going forward? Why why hasn't it happened? Yeah, it, quite honestly, I, that's that's a good one. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, um, you know, ultimately, like you know, a, a role that I'd like to or a corporation that I'd like to work with would be the the NHLPA. I mean, especially retired guys mm-hmm. because. That's where, the, for me, you know, that's the juice. That's the sweet spot. That's the guys that are out of the league for a year or two that are really struggling. 
mm-hmm. you know, cause, cause we, well, I, I know all about that. Right. So, um, so we'll see, like all I can do you guys is just continue to, you know, yeah. stay sober and walk one foot in front of the other. And then if an opportunity arises then I'm ready to go. Uh, so people can still uh, pick up the book brand, correct? Yeah, yeah, you can uh, you can get it uh, Amazon. I am assuming. Yeah, any yeah. any bookstore, yeah. Amazon, that kind of stuff. Yeah, Bryn's got one hey, more for hey, you. One last one for me. When you've gone yeah. through all of this and you talk to guys, uh, that's a casual conversation you have with anybody. Are you often surprised by somebody who's read the book and it maybe has never met you before, and they come up to you and say? You really have made an impact on my life. How many times has that happened? And how do you feel when somebody says, you know what? The positive influence you made through your book, I just can't describe to you. That's got to yeah. be something special. Yeah. I, you know what? I'm, I'm going to give you guys a specific. So my book was out for about six months. And I had a gentleman named, named David call me from Florida. And he said, hey, man, I, I don't have a drink or drug problem. He goes, but my son does. And my son's in treatment, and he goes, I read your book. And he goes, the first time, he goes, I'm not mad at my son. He goes, I'm not mad at the, I understand the disease concept now. And, and he goes, you know what I'd like to do? He goes, I'd like to buy 1,000 books, and I'd like to send 800 books to every team in the National Hockey League. And, and, and then I'd like to buy another 500, and I'd like to send them to the universities in Boston where their hockey program were. Mm-hmm. And to me, at that point, I said, "Oh, this is this is this is actually making making a bit of a difference," which was really cool to see. And that's all. That's the main thing: make a difference, right? Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, Bran, always love uh, catching up uh, with you. Will we see you maybe at uh, maybe an alumni skate if you can zip in from Cold Lake or what? Yeah. No, I'm here now. He's in the West I'm, End. I'm, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on the West End. So I told Chris Joseph. Uh, oh. I said I'm. I go. I'm in. I think it's November November second or something like that. I go. I'm. I'm. I'm in. Like, let's go. So I'm gonna. I've been. I've. I finally started to skate. It took seven years to get my skates back on, but uh, I've been skating a couple times. Just you know, getting the cobwebs mm-hmm. out, and, and then uh, skate a few more times before November. Well, maybe you can grab Matt Tassoni and just kind of set him <laughs> set him proper. Hey, 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 very quickly, who was your <laughs> toughest opponent? Uh, well, actually, it was you know Kevin Carrius called it that <laughs> night on the on the TV. He goes, "This guy was hitting him with so many lefts, he was begging for a right." It's exactly what you said, Kevin. Well, that was back and, in the and, day, and, and it was George LaRock. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, for the record, sorry, Mizey. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> Take it easy on me at <laughs> alumni hockey. Thanks for doing this, bud. Thanks for doing this. Okay, guys. All right. See ya. That's uh, the puck report. Brant Myers. Uh, once the weather hits seven degrees for seven days, it's a good time to get your Tires changed. Uh, check things out at um, Fountain Tire. Uh, FountainTire.com. Some restrictions do apply. My man, yeah, he saw it all. I oh, mean, sure. And, I mean, the tough job. And those guys, I mean, you see so many, like, you look at all the, the tough guys in the NHL. I mean, Derek Bugards and Wade Belax. And, I mean... Yeah, they, they had to do what they did at the time to kind of get through all the demons and things like that, and it wasn't easy, and it isn't easy, and that's maybe one of the reasons we don't see a lot of those players in the league anymore. At least you didn't have to deal with Dave Brown, who I still believe oh. was the toughest Oiler ever. Yeah, we might have been toughest in the league, too. It was right up there for sure. Yeah, did the lawnmower on many guys. Oh, man, very tough.
Uh, when we come back, uh, we've got a special guest for Bryn, maybe a little later in the 10 o'clock hour. Uh, Zach Lang coming up, Blue Jays Nation at 1020. Uh, we did have Daryl Davis, but I think we just lost Daryl. So uh, Bryn and I will shoot the breeze when well, we come back. Well, they're having quite the week in Regina. They're having a lot it, of things going on. Yeah. We'll shoot the breeze, Sports 1440, right after the break. All right, welcome back to the big program, Sports 1440. Uh, our special, special uh, co-host, uh, guest co-host, Bryn Griffiths, uh, in studio in West Edmonton Mall. What do you like the digs in here, don't you, Bryn? Yeah, well, it's a studio I'm yeah. familiar with because I worked next door yeah. with Terry on K97 That's for a number of years and down the hall at CFCW. One so. studio over. Exactly. I went, in, I went in and talked to Terry this morning and Pete. Yeah. I, I usually just go in and say hi and see how they're doing, you know. Yeah. Well, they're you your know. neighbors. Well, I mean, Terry and I, we went to the Masters together. Did you know that? Well, 2005. You phoned me. Uh, yes, I there. did. We did an interview. I was sitting on the curb. Uh, it was the Tiger Woods shot on hole 16. Yes. Uh, Terry and I were at hole 16. We were 40 yards away. The Nike shot. The Nike shot. Yep. And the two of us, were. we watched that. We had a wonderful time. Uh, Terry Tietzen brought a whole bunch of guys down there. We sat uh, right greenside. We were there for four full days, watched yeah. that shot. Uh, but I, again, I think that might have I, I, that might have been the very first cell phone interview that I ever did. And it was with you and, and, and uh, Jake. Yeah. And it would have been in 2005, uh, the Sunday, the Monday morning. We were just getting ready to come, come back. back. Yeah. And the thing I remember about that call, you said one thing that really stood out for me. And since then, I've now heard it from numerous people who have been there, is nobody takes into consideration the elevation of the course. None. Right? Um, because on television, it all gets flattened out. So when you're hitting off of, is it 10? 18 is the biggest one that it's you really up. notice. Yeah. When you're, uh, we were behind Mike Weir on the practice round on 18. You're standing behind him. We could have leaned over the rope and grabbed his club in, the, in his backswing. But just by looking at that elevation, it's straight uphill. Yeah. You don't see it at all. Um, and that, the other thing that you really notice when you're there, it's the color green. It's a green that you've never seen before. I don't know how to explain I that. I had that same thing at St. Andrews. St. Andrews, go. you know, it's a it's right in the middle of town. And then as you drive in, you don't see the golf course until you are right upon it. And it's like, yeah. Um, Bryn Griffiths is our uh, co-host here on uh, Tuesday morning, filling in for Grant Fuhr. The one thing about that week, though, that I will always remember was the smell because it rained a lot. Right. There were... Two or three rounds where they were either, you know, postponed slash delayed. They had to finish them the next day. For instance, the, the, the final round didn't start. We saw players come in on 16 that were finishing round three right. on the Sunday morning. Then on uh, the Sunday for the main round, for the final round, that's it was a, it was late. Everything was pushed back by several hours. Now, because of that rain and the amount of fertilizer that they use at Augusta... right. With the rain, then the sun, then all the the spectators walking, walking on that grass, creating friction with that fertilizer. It smelled like a pig barn. It honestly smelled like a I pig barn. I don't know barn. if I want to hear this. Well, it's the truth. I yeah. know. I'm sure it is. Yeah. But I just I have this imagery of you can smell the flowers. No, there were no azaleas. The, the pine straw. You can smell the pine straw, yeah. or the, the, the yeah. spruce trees. Yeah. But pig barn is not quite what I that you're taking a little bit away from me here. But I'll it, try. It not. was and the Duke, you know, the Duke of Delburn, you know what it's all about. Like I'm sure you guys got deodorizers down there in Delburn and all that. But well, yeah, pig barns are a smell that I think anybody <laughs> in Alberta can recognize pretty much off the hop. There's three 
unique farm smells, and maybe the general person doesn't know the difference, but you recognize them. Chicken barns, pig barns, barns. and dairy barns, which is what I grew up with, was a dairy farm. And a lot of people say dairy barns actually smell the worst. I don't think so, because I'm just used to it. But pig barns, if that is actually the case, I'm with Bryn here. Like, you're kind of making it seem like, do I really want to ever take the dive down and go check out Augusta? (laughs) Well, okay, that was just one day. It was just one day. What a long day that would be, smelling that It was bad. I mean, I'm not kidding. We'll get get Terry Evans on. He'll say the same thing. Yeah. Well, he'll say the same thing. Uh, Bryn Griffiths. So uh, let's get back to, you got back to Edmonton. Now, I can't remember where you, where we were. So you're now. I came back and I worked with Halsey on the yeah. football broadcast and Al Coates on the Trapper On the Trappers. Broadcast. And we had Coatsy on last week. He yeah. was great. No, I, Al, Al's no, a great guy. There, no one knows more about baseball in town than Al Coates. Underrated broadcaster in mm-hmm. our town. Like he just, he was the voice of the Trappers for yeah. so many years, knew the game, had his opportunities to make the move to the majors, yeah. but life changes an awful lot of decision-making mm-hmm. in the process. And I always, he used to have that... Uh, that lilt. The, well, the, and the, the commercial, we do it right, we do it fast. It was either Mr. Lube <laughs> or something. that yeah. smooth Do it right, we do it fast. That baseball <laughs> sound and voice. Let me tell you something now about the big right-hander. He also tells, Brent Sake tells a great story when he was doing a game in, uh, it might have been Portland with Al Coates. Okay. And Coates, he came in just minutes before the broadcast. <laughs> And Sake is on the headset, Old and the producer, the producer's back in Edmonton, going, uh, "Where's L?" And Brent's going, "I don't know. I, I don't I, know. I, well, you might have to do the game, Brent. I don't know how to operate anything." And then here comes L. Coates, like one minute before, and all it's right, a, welcome hey. to Trappers Baseball. Yeah, hey everybody. Yeah. Okay, so after that, then, yeah. so now, when did you get to the Oilers as far as uh, in the PR department and you're with Bill Tuelli and things like that? How did, how did well, that come about Well, it's funny because I spent about two years of just kind of wandering around doing freelance work and I kind of enjoyed it. And uh, I was doing a show on a cable channel, it's called The Edge, with like a bunch of broadcasters who were just doing part-time work. It was a community-driven show on Cable 10. Right. And I didn't think anything of it. I was just doing it because, one, they paid me, and, two, I was having fun doing it. Mm-hmm. But uh, Bill Tawilly, there were some changes inside the Oilers organization. Uh, Trish Kerr, who'd been looking after community relations for the longest time, was moving into a different position inside the organization. And so Bill's at home one day with his lovely wife, who we've lost, mm-hmm. Sylvia. Sylv. And Bill is kind of flipping through the TV channels, telling Sylvia that I got to find somebody to replace Trish, and I need somebody who can work in media relations. And he hits channel 10, and there I am. Hmm. And he goes, there's my guy. Right there. And it's because I had worked for the Winnipeg Jets for a year. Right. So year what year was that? I'm just trying With the to, Jets? No, no, with the Oilers well, coming probably, in. Probably that would have been 96, 97. Okay. okay. So so uh, I, got, I got basically hauled into the office by Bill, who I absolutely love. I learned mm-hmm. an awful lot from Bill Tawilly, I can tell you. As a public relations guy, he could see stuff coming way mm-hmm. before it happened, right? He could say, we're going to have a problem with that. Anyway, so I got hired off of, uh, I don't even know if anybody else was up for the job, but he called me in and asked if I was going to be interested in the job. But he, there was one little caveat on the uh, the job. He says, but before I hire you, I got to ask you one question. Can you move to Houston? <laughs> yeah. And I went, what? I said, what? Yeah. And he says, can you, if we have to, can you move to Houston? And I said, "Is this, the Rumbles had been around for a while. Mm-hmm. Les Alexander had been knocking on the door. And there was a real good chance the team was going to be purchased by Les. He was going to ship right. them down to the summit, the old building. 
and work out of there. So Bill didn't want to hire me unless I said I could make the move. Well, of course I could. Yes. It's an opportunity to work for a team that I'd watch play at the old Edmonton Gardens as a kid, right? But you were like everyone else. You didn't really believe it. No, I didn't until it came up no, then. No and one then did. all of a sudden I went, really? Yeah. And then I had a chance as I got inside behind the curtain, as we always call it. You get inside there and you start to recognize this could happen. Yeah. Like this is weeks away from happening. There was only one guy standing in the way. Mm-hmm. And it, his name was Gary Batman. Yeah. And that, I shouldn't say you didn't want to believe You just didn't want to believe it. That's exactly You didn't yeah. believe it, but you didn't want to believe it because, you know, the great history and things like that. Well, anytime I hear yeah. all this stuff, and I'm going to bring this up again, and I keep telling people this story all the time about Gary Batman. Gary was so involved in that whole process. He did not want to move the Oilers out no, of Edmonton. Well, it was not. He of was not. So he worked really hard uh, to try to find somebody that Peter Pockington could sell the team to. And and he said, I don't want to move this franchise. I do not want to sell this franchise. And he worked behind the scenes. He would come into town quietly. Nobody mm-hmm. even knew he was here. And he continued to work on it. And they were able to put together the Edmonton Investors Group. They purchased the team for Pockington. And the rest says it all right mm-hmm. there. So... Uh, anytime I hear Gary Bettman talk about he wants to get rid of Canadian teams, and I'm thinking, well, I could tell you 100% that's not the case because he worked very hard to keep the team here. Very hard. He was the leading guy yeah. to, to keep the Edmonton Oilers in Edmonton. So um, There was a time when I was doing those interviews in, in the intermission on the Jumbotron oh, and yeah. Rexall, and Gary came up. We were on the catwalk, and, of course, so the two of us come on on the Jumbotron. This is 20 years ago or whatever, and everyone starts booing. Wow, that's the you way. Know, that goes, yeah. with, the, that goes with the I, territory. Yes, but I said to Gary, don't worry, Gary. They're, they're not booing you. They're booing me. <laughs> and he kind of got a chuckle at that <laughs> yeah. a long time ago. People don't want to believe that because it's way more fun to not love the commissioner I mean, and I, he gets that he gets it i don't th- i think he would cringe when the stories always get out about how hard he worked to keep the franchise here and mm-hmm. a lot of fans don't want to believe it no. but i'm here to tell you it's true uh text coming in one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. we'll get to some of those after the break at the top of the hour uh Coming up at ten twenty, Zach Lang from Blue Jays Nation. Uh, so you, you must have watched a ton of Blue Jays games. Um, it's funny. I'm very selective on what I watch now. Okay. In sports, for example, you know how much preseason hockey I've watched? Zero. None. Because okay. I hate the preseason in anything. I just I think way too much is put. Mm-hmm. Way too much stock is put into preseason anything. If the teams are doing it right, they want to see what they got. Right. They're not too worried now. The only there are some little morsels you can pull out of it. Sounds like Campbell's having a really mm-hmm. good camp and having has had some pretty good uh, some pretty good games, but it's preseason. I've only gone. I've been on record for this for a long time. Um, the last two games is the only ones that I really really focus on. Yeah, and 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 I should I have to kind of quantify that by saying if they're home games because a lot of times if you have a road game yeah. still at the you know with two games left or whatever you still don't take your guys because you want to show your your product off to the hometown fans and things like that so we're well, not uh, playing Connor McDavid in Vancouver you're going to play him in Edmonton right so i i think you're going to see you know i think those guys will play you know Connor and Leon they'll play Friday i don't know i mean i don't know if i would play them tomorrow against Calgary I, I'll I bet you the that sense. they have a fair bit of say in it, and I'll bet you they play both games. Okay, you say both. Yeah. I don't know if they if I would want to have them play both games. I I'm still I'm still going. Something happens. I'm going to go. I know, but uh, the, but these guys are racehorses. They want to race. Yeah, but they've also said three games is lots. I get we, that. Eight games is too many. Get it. So if they have five games or six max, and they play half, uh, that's where we're at. Uh, <laughs> 
text comes in from Imitation Tom. Listen, it's fun to give Gary a hard time, but he takes a, like an absolute champion. Braces. Well, him. he does just like Roger Goodell. Same oh, thing. I, that's it. when you're a commissioner of a league that 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 goes with the territory. When we come back, a little more uh, story time with uh, Bryn Griffiths. We'll talk about his cancer battle, his time at 1260, and a line that he told me when I did an interview with him. I guess that's 20 years ago, 2002. Is that when Team 1260 started? Yeah. 2003? June 4th, 2002. Okay. I'll let you know of a little line. I bet you that he doesn't I, I, remember you it. You got me thinking about it now. All right. More with Bryn when we come back at the top of the hour. First up, a sports update with the Duke on Sports 1440.